So Friday, what was Friday? <clears throat> Good Friday. Sunday is what? Resurrection Sunday. So we have, we've had two major events um, in regards to the church um, in the last, say, last, say uh, last three days, right? Resurrection Friday or a crucifixion Friday, Resurrection Sunday. The question would simply be this. What's the significance of a, re- of a crucifixion Friday and a resurrection Sunday? Um, can they be separated? Can, do they have to be combined? Are they two individually distinct um, uh, uh, issues or uh, not issues, but circumstances that have taken place? The question might be is this, if we only had, as I was going through this, I thought, well, what if we only had the crucifixion Friday? If we only had a crucifixion Friday without a Sunday resurrection, have you ever thought about what that would mean for each and every one of us, what that would mean for mankind? If we only had a crucifixion Friday without a Sunday resurrection, well, the first thing that we would note is this, that Jesus is dead, right? Jesus is dead. If there's no resurrection, he's dead. It also tells us this, that he would not be God because God has eternal life. And it would also tell us a third thing about, about that crucifixion Friday. It would tell us that Jesus is dead, he's not God, and that his word was not true, that he was actually a liar. Because what he said was, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be, right, in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. He also told his disciples over and over and over that he must go to Jerusalem, he must be handed over to the men there, he must be put to death, but he would be what? raised on the third day. And he told his disciples this over and over and over. They did not, they grabbed onto two thirds of his statement there, but they did not grab onto the very end of it where he kept telling them, but I will come back to life. I'll be raised on the third day. So if we have a Friday crucifixion without a Sunday resurrection, Jesus is dead. He's not God. And he was a liar. If we have a Friday crucifixion without a Sunday resurrection, it means that the offering that Jesus presented to God was not valid. It was not good. It was ineffective. It did not meet God's standard of what was supposed to be brought to him um, as far as what was an acceptable sacrifice and offering. So what that would tell us if there's a Friday crucifixion without a Sunday resurrection, that the offering that Jesus brought, that it did not do the work that it needed to do. That would not be very good news for mankind. You see, in the Old Testament, and we'll just trace this back for just a few minutes here, God had always established what was necessary, what was required for man to have a relationship with him. And do you remember we studied uh, in about the life of Abraham? And it said that Abraham, what was the great thing about Abraham? Was it how many great things he had done? That it was Abraham believed God, and right? And righteousness was credited to him. What that tells us is, before Jesus ever went to the cross, that Abraham had a right relationship with God. Now, how does a man have a right relationship with God? Well, that's a good question, Ted. A man has a right relationship with God. We can look at what God did for the Israelites as they came out of the bondage of Egypt. They came to Mount Sinai there. Remember, Moses goes up there for 40 days and 40 nights. There's the fire and so forth that's consuming the mountain. And Moses is up there and God gives them not only social law, just how to regulate themselves socially, but he also gives them a religious law or a spiritual law. And what that spiritual law is saying is what is required of, of a man to have a relationship with God. What, what does God say is necessary for a man to have? Of course, as you guys are familiar, Moses comes down off the mountain with two tablets of stone called the what? The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And what God did for mankind was he then orchestrated for them a sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system, as a matter of fact, the pitcher goes all the way back into Egypt. Do you remember that the night that God brought the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, there was, a special, there was a special dinner they had. We now know it as what? As the Passover. Do you remember where the Seder meal? Do you remember what happened? you, you remember why it's called the Passover? Well, it's called the Passover. God told Moses to tell the people, go tell everybody they can either use a, uh, a goat or, uh, or a lamb. And they're to take this animal, but it had, it had to fit certain parameters. It had to be, anybody remember? What were, what were some of the basic parameters for this animal that they would choose? It had to be what? No blemishes. I mean, it had to be the very best that they could possibly find. And they would look for the best one in their flock and say, this will be the one that'll be sacrificed on our behalf. 
And you remember that animal was sacrificed and the blood was taken from that animal and that blood was placed over the door frame of the house, right? And that night, the angel of the Lord, the death angel came into Egypt going to claim the firstborn lives. And anybody in Egypt, if they had followed what God had said, they could have participated in this, but they chose not to because of hard hearts. And that angel, when it came throughout Egypt and it saw the blood, the blood that was represented covering those houses, what did that angel do? The angel passed over because that blood covered. And in the Old Testament, it's talking about a temporary work. It covered them that night. And then what God did was he instituted, they come out of Egypt. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, gets the word from God, comes down. They establish, uh, really, they establish a, a, a religious system there. They have their spiritual system of how to worship God. They have the tent, the tabernacle. It just means a a movable object and so forth. A priesthood is created. And what they're supposed to do is the high priest, one time a year, the day of atonement or Yom Kippur, and only the high priest could go into a special room that was within that tabernacle. Now, by the way, the tabernacle, their worship center, was only about as wide from that wall to that wall, about as not quite as tall as the ceiling, and then kind of straight back to that back waller. That's as big as they said. That's as big as it was. But somewhere about right here, in that sanctuary area, there was a there was a, an object, an obstruction keeping from people going into that room. What's what was right there? It's a veil or a curtain. And what the priests would do on a daily basis is they would go out there, and they had certain duties that they would do out in there that area. They had the table of showbread. They had the altar of incense that they're giving on daily. They had the lamp that they're taking care of. But only one time a year, the high priest and only the high priest could come back behind the veil that was right here. You know what was inside this room? This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Within the Ark, you had the Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff. You had a jar of manna. On top of that, of that box, you had a, a cover or a lid, also known as a kofar. And it's just a cover. And then on top of that, you had two seraphim coming up, right? You guys have seen it on Indiana Jones. This is where I have to throw that in there. You've seen it. It's a little bit larger than what it's only just about this big. But on top of that, between the two, the two angels right there, what was present right there? Ah, the Shekinah glory of God. It was the presence of God. And what that high priest would do, how many times a year? And only who? Only the high priest could go back there. He would first make an offering for himself, for his sins. And then after he made an offering for his own sins, he then would come back behind that veil with a second sacrifice. And the blood of that sacrifice, he'd pull that curtain back and he'd walk back in there and he'd take that blood and he would sprinkle it on the ark. And what that was doing at that particular time was that was a temporary covering. That blood that was going onto the ark, it was God temporarily not bringing his judgment upon them but they had to come back and do it again next year, right? And the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that. What's the difference? Because that blood that that the high priest would be sprinkling, well, it was just the blood of an animal, right? Are animals eternal? No, they don't have eternal life. And that blood that would be sprinkled, well, as soon as blood falls to the ground, doesn't take very long, and then what happens to it? It dies, right? And that's why the priest had to do that year after year after year after year. By the way, even in regards to sin, God had set up that if you sinned, that you could come to the tabernacle and you can bring an offering. And if the sin was heinous enough, something would die in your place. Meaning that if, if you, uh, if you had a, a certain sin and it required that the sacrifice would be some kind of an animal, that animal there, you'd bring it to the temple area, give it to the priest, and that animal's life would be ended. The blood would be let out. The blood would be poured out in certain places and so forth. And the purpose of that was to show the Israelites simply this, that in order for them to be saved from their sin, something must, what? Die. Without the shedding of blood, Scripture tells us there can be no, what? Forgiveness of sins. Sin cannot be dealt with unless something dies. Now, can you imagine right now, can you imagine just the last month of your life if every time you sinned, you had to go to a worship center and bring some kind of an offering uh, to atone for that? How much time would you be spending in line? You spend a lot, and the cost of it, right? I mean, you'd just be like, come on, can I get this straight? God never wanted the people to think that they could do it on their own. The whole purpose of the law, the whole purpose of that system, it was nothing more than a picture that God had painted to show mankind this. If a man is going to be saved, it is not going to be by his own work. 
because that man would have to constantly come back day after day after day, sometimes depending on their sin. Do you remember a man by the name of Job? It says that every day he offered sacrifices to God on behalf of himself and his children. Every day he wanted to make sure. Can you imagine if that's what God required of you today, having to go through that process every day? Well, the whole purpose of that whole structure was that one day God would send the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and he would become a sacrifice. But God's sacrifice is different than the animal sacrifice, really, about one thing. And what is it? We said that the animal was not eternal, but Jesus is. So if we have a Friday crucifixion, without a Sunday resurrection, it means that whatever offering that Jesus brought to God, God didn't accept it. Now, that's not good news for for us, is it? If God doesn't accept the offering, I mean, think about it this way, because we're going to find out here, and you guys probably well know that Jesus offered himself as that sacrifice. Remember, it was John the Baptist, John chapter one, that said, behold, there he is. There's the lamb who's going to, he's going to be the sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world. So if we have a Friday crucifixion without a Sunday resurrection, it means that Jesus is dead. It means that, you know, Jesus was, uh, Jesus is dead. Um, it means that he's not God. And it means that he's what? It means that his word was not true. It also means this, that the sacrifice that Jesus brought was not good enough. Now, just for a moment, think about this. For those of us who may think that there's something good enough in us to be in a right relationship with God, if God, if there's only a Friday crucifixion without a Sunday resurrection, means that God did not accept Jesus, are you better than Jesus? Is your life, can you say, hey, my life, I live a better life than Jesus? There's only a Friday crucifixion without a Sunday resurrection. There's no hope for us because God didn't accept the offering. We also know this, point three would be that if there's a Friday crucifixion without a Sunday resurrection, it means that there is now this continual separation between man and God. As you well know, that going back to Genesis chapter three, that there was sin that Adam and Eve jumped into. And what the sin was, by definition, sin is what? Sin is missing the mark. Sin is not dressing you up in a little outfit with a tail and a pitchfork and saying, ah, I'm a little devil. Sin, by definition, is missing the mark. It's missing God's best for you. That's what sin is. Can you understand why God doesn't like sin? Because his children, what? When they sin, they're missing the very what? The very best that he has for them. So sin does this, and you guys well know, we often say that sin, what? Separates us from a holy and righteous God. We cannot approach God with sin. If we approach God with our sin, we will be judged, we'll be found guilty, and we'll be found eternally condemned, eternally separated from him in a place that the Bible calls, not Steve, but what scripture says is the lake of fire. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a great place to spend your life, right? You know, we have the world, the world thinks of hell or the lake of fire or eternal damnation. You know, I remember there was a movie, something about, you know, you know, when we, you know, when we get to hell, you know, I'll bring the beers, you know, kind of a deal. And that's mankind's, uh, they like to laugh about it. But guys, hell is real. You know how I know hell is real? Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about it. We're going to get to that here in just a second, maybe a little bit more. So we talked about that if there's a Friday crucifixion, but we don't have what we have today is a Sunday resurrection. It means that Jesus is dead. It means that he was not God. He is not eternal. It means that his word isn't true. It also means that God did not accept the sacrifice that Jesus had brought on our behalf. It also means, what was the third point? It also means that there's now eternal separation from us and God. The fourth point would be this. If there's only a Friday crucifixion without a Sunday resurrection, there's no hope. There's no hope. We are abandoned to death, to separation from God for all eternity. Jesus' word is not true. There's no help there. We are now, we are now resigned to simply living, wallowing around in our sin, becoming more consumed with sin as our lives go on till we inevitably destroy ourselves. Go read Romans chapter one. It's, it's the, it's the process of mankind 
as God is rejected in the world, in a society, mankind, it's a devolution process. We think that we're getting better, smarter, wiser. We talked about that on Tuesday night. We think that we're becoming so much more sophisticated in the world. Oh, look how loving and helpful we are. Look at the, look at the one world concept and all of that. And what Paul tells us beginning in verse 18 of Romans chapter one is that when a mankind knows God, but he rejects God, he then will go down this steep moral cliff and he goes over the end of it essentially to his own or her own demise and destruction. That's what sin does, right? Sin separates us. So if there's only a Friday crucifixion without a Sunday resurrection, Jesus is dead. Um, he's not God. He was telling, he was never telling the, tri- he's, uh, the truth. He's a liar. Tells us that the sacrifice was not acceptable. It also tells us that now we are eternally separated from God and now we are left in a place without what? without hope. I'd like for you to think about these things and I'll send you on your way this morning. I hope that you've enjoyed the Easter message or the Resurrection Sunday message and uh, go have fun with your friends and family. Amen. I'll pray. Just kidding. Just kidding. Some of you guys are like, yes. Guys, there's no good news in that. Without God, without hope. Now, let's turn the tables a little bit. If we only have a resurrection without a Friday crucifixion. If Jesus is, let's say, walking down the road, he's on his way from Jerusalem back up to the Galilee region and he's walking on the edge of a mountain and he slips and he falls 60 feet and, uh, and he dies. They pick him up and uh, they uh, have a funeral for him. They, they put him, uh, they lay his body where it's supposed to be. And a few days later, Jesus pops up out of the grave. What would that mean? Well, I mean this, that's really good news for Jesus and his friends right? Because they get their friend Jesus back. And it's good news for Jesus because he's not dead any longer. Say Jesus is out on the Sea of Galilee, he's fishing and so forth. A big storm comes up. The boat capsizes. Jesus drowns. They recover the body. They do the funeral. They lay his body to rest maybe a few days or a week or a month later. Next thing you know, Jesus is walking around the village. They're like, whoa, that's great. Jesus is alive. If there's only a Sunday, if there's only a resurrection without the Friday crucifixion, it's just good news for Jesus because he's eternal. It does nothing for you, nothing for me. But what we must understand is this. That's why we have to understand that there has to be the equal taking in of the Friday crucifixion and the Sunday resurrection. For if there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, it tells us this. It tells us that Jesus is what? Alive. It tells us, secondly, Jesus is, is truly God. Thirdly, it tells us if there is a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, that, that Jesus is not only alive, that he is not only God, but his word is what? His word is true. Now, here's the question. Do you believe, you don't have to say it out loud. Do you believe those things? You're here this morning, you're at a church on Easter Sunday or, or on Resurrection Sunday, the reason why we would be here is to worship the simple, simple fact that Jesus is alive, right? Resurrection, that he truly is God. He has eternal life and that his word is what? His word is true. Now, if you believe those things, what do you believe about all of his word? Do you believe all of his word is true? Do you think that just some of his word is true? Do you think that when Jesus was talking about following him, that he meant when it's convenient, when it's easy? If there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, Jesus is alive. He truly is God and his word is true. And what that tells me about his word is that if his word is true in that, his word is true in everything else. So it tells me, leads me to this. If that is right, if that is a correct statement, then I have this understanding. All of his word is true. And so what God has given us now is his word And we can live our lives according to what God says, not what man says, or not what Steve thinks. Our difficulty today is we want to interpret God's word based on how we feel and our world belief and what we believe. We're at a a point in time today where what the church is trying to do is the church is trying to bend God's word to the will of men, where the will of men is supposed to bend to the will of God. Does that make sense? And we're on a fight today. Matter of fact, each and every person in this room, and I constantly tell you guys this to remind you this, we must constantly be reevaluating our perception of who God is, comparing it to what his word says he is. Does that make sense? 
We have to find out. We have to constantly be in here because if you're not rooted in the word of God, you will think wrongly about God. And I can tell you that there's not one person in in this room who thinks 100% correctly about God, right? We all have some room to grow in his mercy and his grace and, and just how awesome he is and his plan and his desires. We all have room to grow in those areas. So if there's a crucifixion Friday and a Sunday resurrection, Jesus is alive. That's good news. He truly is God. His word is true. It also tells us this, if there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, it means that God has accepted, what was that second point? That God has accepted that sacrifice. As a matter of fact, let's look at, go ahead and go to your Hebrew passage. As a matter of fact, let's go to um, your Matthew 28. Let's go to Matthew 28. Let me just verify with God's word that first point. Matthew 28 and in the sixth verse, I I like... um, I like uh, the beginning of the book of, uh, of, or the chapter 28, because in verse one, it says that the women were coming to the tomb and um, they were coming to look at it. Because remember guys, in that day, they remember the whole stone thing is rolled in front of the door. The women wouldn't be able to have the strength to be able to move that out of the way. The women came to go to the tomb to mourn. And what it says is this, if you remember in verse six, the angel says this, the angel says, hey ladies, he's not here he has risen. What's the next phrase? Just as he said. He's risen, meaning he has the power of eternal life, that he's God, and his word is true because he said that he would be raised from the dead. So our second point that we went on to, if there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, it means that God has accepted the sacrifice. And for that, we go over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. And it says this, Hebrews 10 and 10, several verses here. Well, we could go into Hebrews all day talking about the resurrection of Christ and the offering, the sacrifice, all of that. Hebrews 10.10 says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the, what's the phrase? Sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What's the sacrifice? It's Jesus. It's his life, right? Uh, The whole picture of communion. Uh, His body is broken. His body is represented by the, what? By the bread. And his blood is represented by the what? by the juice, by the wine, whatever it may be. And so you can continue on, look at verse 12. But when this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now this is the picture that is to unplay, unfold in our minds because we understand, as I was talking about the Old Testament picture that God had drawn where that high priest, how many times a year would go behind that veil? One time, and only who? Only the high priest, he would first make an offering for himself, then he'd make an offering for the nation that he brings back in there. He's going to sprinkle the blood, but the blood's not what? The blood of those animals, not eternal. So it can't continue to do the work continually. It can't, conter- can't continue on down the road. So what Hebrews here is telling us is that Jesus is the pitcher. And, and when God told Moses to make that worship center, that sanctuary, he says, I want you to make it exactly how I tell you because it's a picture of the heavenly throne room. So we have this picture now, what Hebrews is telling us, is that Jesus is now going into the presence of God. He's going behind the veil, going through the veil. And he's going into that veil, and he's offering what is a sacrifice? He's offering himself as a sacrifice. Now, this is something that's interesting because you're asking, you know, okay, so the veil thing. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross? says that in the third hour when, when he finally, when, when he quit breathing, his body died and so forth, it said something very unique had happened in the temple area. Do you remember what that was in the temple that happened at that particular time, three in the, three in the afternoon? Ah, oh, that curtain that separated man from God, right? Except for that high priest, how many times a year? One time, all of a sudden, those guys are in there. They're going to start doing their evening, uh, their evening work. All of a sudden, the place starts shaking. The earthquakes came, right? It's dark outside. The earthquakes come. Jesus is on the cross. It is what he says. It's finished. And it tells us that the, the temple curtain is torn. Now, does that mean that some men went in there and grabbed a hold of that curtain, went like that and ripped it up? Distinctly, how does the Bible say that it was torn? Wow. Really? Way up there? And it was just grabbed and it was just torn? Who tore the veil? God did. And by doing that, God made a way for man as Jesus. Was Jesus fully man? And was Jesus fully God? Yeah. 
and made a way for mankind to enter into the presence of God. Now, what was unique about Jesus, as Hebrews would tell us, is that he was tested in every way, yet what? Without sin, without fault, or according to the Old Testament picture of that lamb they were supposed to select, he was without what? Blemish. He was perfect. So now the picture that was it is being fulfilled as Jesus, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, enters into the presence of God. If there's a Friday crucifixion for the sin of man and a Sunday resurrection, it means that Jesus is alive. It means that he's God. His word is true, faithful. We can follow. We, we need to follow his word. It tells us this, that God also accepted the sacrifice that Jesus brought. And you should know here this morning, there is nothing that you can do apart from that that can bring you into a relationship with God. There's nothing that can cleanse your mind. There's nothing that can give you hope other than Jesus. The third thing is this, that if there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, it means that that gap that used to be between God and man that was caused by what? Sin, because sin does what? Sin separates us from God, that that gap has now been completely abolished. It's gone. So that mankind, so that God can now, as a matter of fact, Jesus says in John 14, he says in regards to the Holy Spirit, right? God is triune, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that when I go, I will ask my Father to send you who? The Holy Spirit or the comfort, the parakletos, the one who comes. And Jesus would say he, uh, he will dwell, he will be, right? Yeah, it's going to come in you. It's going to come in you. And what Jesus is saying is God can now come into man. I want you to make sure that you have a very clear picture of what all of this is about. This is in no way of you trying to reach up to attain God. Mankind often kind of gets a little sideways and they think, you know what? I'm going to go become more spiritual. I'm going to do the church thing. I'm going to jump in and and I'm really going to engage in this spiritual thing. Guys, it has nothing to do with that. Jesus told his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have what? I have I have chosen you. I have chosen you. This is about, this is not about you determining your relationship with God. This is about God bringing a relationship to you. You see, this isn't like, you know, so you're some guy, you know, you see a cute little girl over there. You're like, you know, hey, I think you're cute. You know, we should get married and all all of this. It's not that, you know, two people are just kind of like, yeah, hey, I think you're great. And I think you're great and so forth. Um, And then we just get together and have a marriage and all of that. It's not like that at all. This is God reaching down to you and saying, I love you and I've sacrificed my son for you that we can have a relationship. If you're striving to try to grab a hold or to attain or to achieve God in any way, that's not the means by which you will ever find satisfaction. It's always allowing God to reach down into your heart. By the way, I want to throw this out. And I guess since I'm the one who has the platform, I can go ahead and speak it out. A Christian isn't perfect. A Christian is not perfect, but they are changed. They are changed. Why is a Christian changed? Because we have the indwelling of God in our lives, right? That's why we now have somebody to lead us. We now have the word of God, direction for our life. We now have the spirit of God to speak to us, to put this into application into our lives. A Christian is not perfect, but they are definitely what? change. How could you say, could you ever really make the argument that God could live in somebody and that person not be changed? Do you think you could ever make that argument? So we should think about it. Is my life changed? Is my life changed by the Friday crucifixion and the Sunday resurrection, proving Jesus to be alive? I don't know anybody else who's come up out of the grave. Proves that he truly is God. I don't know anything else that is proven to be true throughout scripture. God just says those gods, they're not real gods at all. They do have demonic powers behind them. And that God's word is true. Jesus always told the truth. By the way, let me insert there that one of our most famous daytime talk show hosts made a statement one time that Jesus, Jesus came to teach us how to live good lives. Eh. It's a triple, triple right there. Eh, 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 she loses. She came to say that Jesus only came to teach us how to get, live a good life. He didn't come to teach us how to good, live a good life. There's a lot of people that are engaging Jesus so that they'll be better people. Jesus did not come to teach us how to live a good life. Jesus came to teach us that we need him for salvation. That's what he came to teach us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge 
and he will straighten out your what? He'll make your path straight. That's what Jesus came for. So now we know that Jesus is alive. He's God. His word is true. We also know that the sacrifice that Jesus brought, which was himself the, the, the spotless sacrifice, has now been presented to God. God accepted it. And by the way, let me throw this out. That after that high priest back in that Old Testament picture, going backwards in time now, that as he made that sacrifice on that day, everybody in the community, two to three million people were out there and they were waiting for one thing on that day. What do you think it was? The priest is inside the inner room making the sacrifice, making spring. And what are, what's everybody outside waiting for? They're waiting to see if the high priest comes out because if God doesn't accept the sacrifice of that priest, what happens to that priest? Eh, he's toast. But what happens? They're waiting. The high priest comes out and he shows himself to the congregation. What do you think the people did? Man, they, I tell you what, Hebrew people know how to party. Hebrew people know how to party because they do it for like four, five, six days, right? I mean, I've never been to an event where you party for four, five, six days. Hebrew people, man, they would shout to the Lord, right? Famous song by Darling. Shout to the Lord. That's what they did. So that was the picture, Right? We're looking for the fulfillment. Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice. He now takes on the role of not the high priest, but the great high priest, meaning that there's nobody other than him. He takes his offering into the presence of God. Now, in order for God to accept that offering, what must happen? What must the, how do we know that God accepted the offering? Because afterwards, he what? He showed himself to men, just like the high priest did. That's the purpose of the Sunday resurrection. Friday crucifixion, he's going into the presence of God to make atonement for our sin. For the, not for his own sin, right? He was sinless. But for you, for me, for the sin of the whole world. And then he shows himself afterwards, which means this. The sacrifice that he brought into the presence of God was accepted. And now that anybody, right? Jesus would say, whoever would believe in that fulfillment of that work will not perish. But what? Here's the good news. We'll have eternal life. John what? John three sixteen. It's the good news. And what Jesus is saying is this. Now that Jesus, who not only was fully God, but fully man, he walked through that veil. That was what? That was torn. He now walked into the presence of God. What that tells us for our third point was this, is that what used to, what used to separate God from man has now become open access. Isn't that, isn't that good news? Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 6. Sorry, hang on a second. Um, it's four. Uh, it's four sixteen. And Hebrews four sixteen tells us this in regards to that distance that used to be between God and man. If there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, it means that that distance has been moved out of the way, that separation. And it says this, verse 16, you guys know this is one of our favorites. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. Now just pause there for a second. You guys have seen too many movies. You've read too many things about nobody can just approach the throne of a king. Can you just go up to the White House or run in there and say, I want to speak with the president. What'll happen? You'll either be tackled or somebody's going to shoot you, right? You just, even the president, right? You just can't walk in there, let alone a king. You just be struck down. But look at this now. Let us then, the writer to the Hebrew says, approach uh, God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. Confidence. What it means is this, is that 24-7, you have, you can have access to God. I don't know anything else in your life that you have 24-7 access to that is always going to seek the best in your life. And that's what Jesus has done. So let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we'd receive what? Mercy and find grace. Mercy is not, what's the definition of mercy? Not receiving what you deserve. Mercy is when you are guilty of the sin. Anybody guilty of sin? Anybody, anybody say, anybody got it? We got some hand raisers in the back, okay? Going a little Pentecostal back there in the back room. It's okay. Guilty of sin. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. Do you remember, by the way, two men Jesus told us about, gave us a picture of two men. One of them was one of the religious elites. 
coming before God and praying and saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like others men, like, like these sinners here. I thank you that I'm not like that. I thank you that you've, that you've, uh, I, I follow you and I do everything you tell me to do and that I'm not like all of these rotten sinners around here. The tax collector falls down on his face before God and he says, have mercy on me, a what? Sinner. And Jesus says, the latter, the second man went away justified before God. Why? Because he recognized his what? His sin. His sin. Every person in this world is a sinner. And what it means is this. A sinner by definition again is what? Missing the mark. It means that we're missing the mark for God, for what God has set for us. And now what God has given us is the mark of Christ Jesus. He's the measure of perfection. Now, are you going to spend the rest of your life trying to be as good as Jesus to be right with God? Or are you just going to rely on what Jesus has done for you to be right with God? You get to choose, right? One of them will lead to life. One of them will lead to death. So now we can approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence, the gap. If there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, that distance between us and God has been taken away if we trust in what Jesus Christ has done. The last thing simply is this. It speaks of hope. And it's over in chapter six, verse 18. So if there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, let's run this down again. It's gonna be a test on it afterwards, online, by the way, open book. There's going to be, Friday crucifixion, Sunday resurrection means that Jesus is what? Yeah, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is God, and that Jesus' word is? It means that the sacrifice that Jesus brought, if there's a, a Friday crucifixion along combined with the Sunday resurrection, that the sacrifice has been what? Accepted. If there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, it means the distance, the chasm, the gap that separated God from man because of our sin has now been what? It's been wiped out. And if there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, it gives us certain, what? Hope. And it says this in 6, 18. It says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. And this is what I want you to hear. That we who have fled to take hold of the hope. I want you, no matter how you're trained, I want you to mark that there because this is what you need to consider. Have I fled to take hold of the hope set before us? What's the hope set before us? Eternal life with God through the work of Christ Jesus. That's our hope. So that we may be greatly, what's the last word? Encouraged. Let me read it to you like this. I'm going to cut out that section between the commas there. God did this so that we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly, what? Filled with courage. Man, there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection. It means that Jesus is certainly alive. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? It means that Jesus is God. You have to ask yourself this morning, do I actually believe that? Or am I just here doing the church thing? And if there's a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, it means that Jesus's word is true. That means anything that you can think of isn't going to, anything that you can come up with on your own, that's your own thoughts, your own ideas. That's not God's word. God's word is truth. Jesus would say in John 17, 17, Father, would you sanctify them? Would you, that word means set apart, make them, would you sanctify them? by your truth. And he says, your word is truth. The only way that a person in this world is set apart is by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit in them. I said earlier that a Christian is not perfect, but they are what? Changed. Different. The question this morning is this, is your life different because of Christ Jesus? Or are you just kind of just, you know, kind of the same old, just going through going through the process and so forth. The question, you know, I was telling Angela this morning, I said, uh, I, I was just talking through it with her and, and I said, you know, I'm going to share that I'm not going to do an invitation. I'm not going to do the formal invitation as you and I well know it. The formal invitation, which is only, which is less than about a hundred years old, somewhere around a hundred, 120 years old, maybe. The formal invitation, right? So the church has gone 1,900 years in existence, and then in the last century or so, we've, we've adopted this concept of 
a, a formal a formal way of calling people forward and so forth. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm saying that here's the difficulty. Jesus tells us that not everybody who says that they're a Christian is actually going to be saved. They're not actually saved. They are, by what we would know, a term that I thought was a new term that turned out to be something that I uh, heard from, from a guy from about 100 years ago, from Charles Spurgeon, the term is unconverted Christians. And those are Christians who are lost. They're Christian in acts and so forth. Like, you know, they can play the part. They, they have the dress, the talk, the look. They do, they do some of the Christian things, but in essence, they don't know the Lord. And that's why Jesus says, and many on that day will call out to me, Lord, Lord, We're talking about people who are proclaiming the word of God, he says, prophesying. People who are healing people. People who are casting out demons in the name of Jesus, they say. And you know what Jesus will say? But I, what? Knew you. You see, a Christian is not perfect, but they are what? But they're changed. There's something unique. There's something different. Now, does that mean that your life is a perfect example of following and trusting in God's grace in every single aspect? No. We know that there's a process called big fancy word sanctification, which is a process of God changing our lives now that we've received, now that we've trusted in what Jesus has done to bring us into the presence of God. God now puts his spirit, puts his word into us. So now we can be conformed to the image of who Jesus is. And that's a process, if you're a believer here today, that God is taking you through. And everybody in this room is a different place in that process. God works differently on you than he does you and on you and you. He's unique in all of his ways. I'm not going to give a formal invitation because I actually don't ever even see Jesus giving a formal invitation as far as to a mass. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's bad. But this is why I steer away from formal invitations. This is why I steer away sometimes from formal invitations. Because once you have made that walk down the aisle that public, you know, you, you prayed publicly, you went and got baptized. You could be as lost as lost could be, but you'd be so embarrassed to ever tell somebody, I don't think that I'm a follower of Jesus. And you continue on with that title over you of Christian, and you'd be terrified. You see, I believe that there are probably, I believe in any group of people that there are people that are here that would certainly like to say, I am saved. I've done all the things. I've prayed the three-point prayer. I've gone through all of that. Somebody took me through the spiritual laws, through the Roman roads. I prayed. I was baptized. I have a certificate. Mama took a picture. And I was going through yesterday, you know, started with the Polaroids, you know, and then it went to the, you know, the SLR cameras and now it's the iPhone. You know, mama's got, mama's documented my salvation. But guys, let me tell you what, the greatest thing that you could ever hear, do here this morning is first of all, if you're lost, you know you're lost. Don't ever, matter of fact, when when scripture says confessing Jesus, it does not mean coming forward in an altar call and saying a prayer. It means that your life is a confession about the ever-changing power of God in you. It is not about saying a prayer. It is a changed life. And you know here this morning, if your life has been changed by the power of God or not. Now, if you've made that decision walking down the aisles and so forth, you come to a real difficult place in your life. Well, I let the fear, and you think there'd be some kind of embarrassment if actually I responded and said, you know what? I don't think I know the Lord. Right? It's important that we know the Lord, but it's more important that the Lord knows us. We saw that in Galatians last week, right? Now that you know the Lord, or Paul says, better yet that the Lord knows you. That's the place where I want to be. I want him to be able to acknowledge me, right? And Jesus said this, those who acknowledge me before men. It doesn't mean that it's just that, well, I said it once and I'm good to go and I'll just kind of go on with my life. That's not what Jesus was ever saying. He was saying an ever continual confession that Jesus Christ is your Lord, even if it meant your death. He said, that's the person that I will proclaim as my bride. So once again, not going to give a formal invitation, but I will give you this. It'll be different than what you think. 
The one call that I do understand Jesus giving was this. Hey, boys, come and follow me. Let me let me really put this into concrete for you guys. If you think that your salvation is because of a prayer and certain actions you did to get saved, but there is no following of Jesus Christ in your life, that's not salvation. A, a Christian is not perfect, but a Christian is what? And a Christian follows who? Follows. Jesus would say, um, John chapter 15, my sheep know me. They hear my voice and they will not follow another. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. So the question here this morning is this, are you a follower? Now you're here this morning cause it's resurrection Sunday or Easter, right? A little bit of a different message, right? As you sit right there, What has been your concept of Jesus yesterday? And what do you think your concept of Jesus tomorrow will be? Do you believe that he's alive? Do you believe that he's God, that his word is eternal and true? Do you believe that he has made the sacrifice of himself? He sacrificed himself so that you could have a relationship with God. The gap that was between you and God because of your sin, Jesus has kicked that out of the way so that you could have hope. You could have hope. Last verse is this. Almost closing here. Um, and I'll just read it to you again. God did all of this so that we who have fled to take hope, that hope that has been set before us right now, the hope of life is being set before you. You are either going to, you're either going to run to it and grab a hold of it, or you're going to walk away from it here in just a few moments. But that hope bring grace, brings great encouragement. The hope in Jesus Christ is not that we're just better people. The hope in Jesus Christ is that he makes us right with God for how long? For eternity. That's where it's at. Now, if you guys would go ahead and stand with me, please. Lindsay, you have any song comes to mind in closing? Okay, communicate that to Carrie there and go ahead and come on up. Look at this, Sunday morning and shortest message ever. This is is absolutely amazing. I have a second message I'd like to bring you, the rocks that speak. And, uh, And I actually had that prepared to go through scripture and talk about the rocks of the word of God that speak, that testify, right? Does that rock at the tomb testify, right? That rock shouts out, the grave is empty. Jesus is alive. Absolutely amazing. It's good news. If you guys would just close, just bow your eyes. And and typically I don't do this, but, and I'm even going to close my eyes. How about that? Can you testify this morning? If I put a microphone in your hand, would you stand in front of this group and say, I believe that Jesus is alive, that he's the son of God, that he is God, that his word is true. He has made the sacrifice to bring me into the presence of God. He has obliterated the gap and he is my great hope of my life. It's who I have fled to. He is my great hope. If I handed you the microphone this morning, could you say, I follow Christ. I choose to follow Christ in my life. I surely hope that that would be the truth. But I wonder, I wonder not if just some, but I wonder how many would be too terrified to pick up that microphone because they know that what they may say wouldn't be true about their lives. So here's the offer that's extended to you this morning. You can grab a hold of Jesus. Let him be your hope. Let him be what you cling to. And I'm going to give you even a way out this morning. 
I'm not going to make you stand up in front of anybody. I'm not even going to make you raise your hand. But I'm going to ask you this. If you need to grab a hold of Jesus this morning, do it right now. There's no formalized, systematic way to have this happen other than this. Just like the man that we talked about earlier, he acknowledged before the Lord that he was a sinner and he asked God for mercy. I pray that this morning, if Christ has found to be absent from your life, that you're grabbing a hold of him right now, acknowledging that you are a sinner and that you need and that you grab a hold of the work that he has done on your behalf, that you believe that he is alive, that you believe that his word is true, that he is the son of God, that he is the atonement for your sin, that he is the one that brings you into the presence of God. He is your great hope that you at this very moment right now would grab a hold of that. And so, Father, we thank you for your great gift of mercy and of grace. Father, I pray for the heart or the hearts this morning that against all other activity that they've done, all other religious responses, Father, that it all just boils down to having a relationship with you, following you, trusting you, and just loving you for what you have done on our behalf. We acknowledge the Son as our great husband, as a great leader of our lives. We acknowledge the Holy Spirit to speak to us that we would learn to trust the Spirit in directing our lives. Father, to the word of God that you're pouring out into the hearts of men, may it be seed that finds fertile soil. And Father, we worship you, God, that has sacrificed his all in order that you could have a relationship with us. Father, may we never think differently of a Friday crucifixion and a Sunday resurrection, but constantly be brought to the throne of your grace and that we come with confidence to worship our great God. And the body says, amen. Amen. Thank you.